Are you a mother, father or you are involved in caring for children? If yes, then listen to Ask the Pediatricians every Thursday by 10 a.m. for insightful discussion on popular child health topics such as dangerous child health practices, immunization, infant feeding, developmental milestones and so much more. You also get to ask questions on these topics and listen to answers to real-life child health issues by a pediatrician. Ask the Pediatricians Foundation is devoted to health education and information of parents and caregivers of children in the community to support you in raising healthy children. Don't miss Ask the Pediatricians with Dr. Bimi because it's informative, educative and interactive. Ask the Pediatricians Hour, the program for caring parents. Hello everyone and welcome to Ask the Pediatrician Hour. I am Bimisola Boyde and I'm your anchor for today. I really want to thank you so much for joining us in whichever platform you're watching from, whether you're watching on our Facebook page or YouTube channel, or you are listening on Fresh Waves Radio, or the podcast i want to say thank you so much for joining us today uh ask the pediatrician hour is a program devoted to health education and information our mission is to see that no child dies from preventable causes of that and we do that through all our platforms on social media where we do health education and information and also offline through our community medical outreaches and this is just to let you know that our may outreach is coming up very soon and it's going to be an hybrid one so in some areas we are going to be doing the outreaches live uh, whereas in some areas you are going to be able to access our pediatricians online and so just watch out for the details on how that is going to be. So thank you so much uh, for joining us today. And um, today, again, we've come to talk about another important topic. Um, today, uh, we're going to be talking about cerebral palsy. I think my background is wrong. I, I'm going to of the that uh, so we're not talking about malaria we've already done that a couple of weeks ago so today we're going to be talking about um cerebral palsy uh this is one of the uh very common uh condition in children and so um and it's so important for us to know more about it and uh, March is actually devoted to it's a month where we celebrate uh, cerebral palsy or a, a kind of create awareness about cerebral palsy uh, but due to uh, a lot of topics to be, to be discussed in March we were not able to touch on it at that time so I said that today I will just uh, talk to us more about uh, cerebral palsy and if you have any questions you are free to post your questions on ask the pediatrician facebook group or from monday to saturdays 
and we will try and answer them. Remember that I also do ATP live on Mondays at 6 p.m. where you can actually get to ask your questions live and direct and I'm able to answer them as well. So thank you so much for watching. And if you have missed our past episodes, uh, you can always catch up on our Facebook page, YouTube channel, even on my podcast. You can listen to all the past uh, uh, broadcasts and I'm sure you're going to learn a lot. And as you listen to them, if you have any questions, anything you want to clarify, you can always post them directly on our Facebook page, or you can send me an email at askdrmimi at askcpediatricians.com. So thank you so much for joining me today um, on whichever platform you're listening to, whether you're listening on Fresh Rest Radio, or you're watching on the YouTube or Facebook page, or whether of Askcpediatricians Foundation or uh, Fresh Rest Radio Facebook page as well. I want to say a big thank you so much for joining us and uh, we really appreciate uh, your turning into us and listening to our program we don't take it for granted uh, we need you to be our partner in making sure that no child dies from preventable causes thank you so much all right so let's dive in into the topic itself so what is cerebral palsy and uh, let me start by saying that a lot of people use the word cerebral palsy uh, uh, quite a lot, um, but sometimes ignorantly. So some people use it for children uh, who have special needs and not every special need is cerebral palsy. Okay, so there are other reasons why a child may, may have developmental delay or a child may not be able to do certain things. And that does not necessarily mean they have cerebral palsy. Another word that tends to be used a lot is Down syndrome. And I think uh, I think we've done something on Down syndrome, but we can always revisit it again. Again, it is not every child who has developmental delay that has Down syndrome. So let's avoid using things like the word cerebral palsy or Down syndrome for children who have special needs. If you are not sure what exactly the child's difficulties are or what the diagnosis are uh, just say there's a child with special needs that is more acceptable than to say they have cerebral palsy or down syndrome when you don't really know what exactly uh is wrong with them and parents also tend to do this as well um they will ask some questions the way they ask that question i know that they may be wrong in terms of what they are labeling their child with so please do not label your child uh, if you don't have a diagnosis given by a pediatrician, just say, I have a child with special needs. Let the pediatrician be the one to tell you your child has cerebral palsy or Down syndrome or any of the other uh, developmental disorders or disabilities that we have. But let's avoid labeling children with this diagnosis when you don't have it all right so now let's start with defining what cerebral palsy is i will try and avoid the medical jargons and try to keep it simple but basically children with cerebral palsy have special needs due to injury in the brain okay so in cerebral palsy there's an injury to the brain when the brain is still fragile, tender, developing. Uh, usually we call it developing brain. Usually that's brain in children less than two, five years old. So if there's an injury to that brain and it now leads to 
difficulties for that child, especially with what we call the motor skills and the posture. So that those are very important things to know. So in children with cerebral palsy, they always have difficulties with movement and posture. Those are, that is the hallmark of cerebral palsy. There are other developmental disabilities that can also cause some delays, but if there is involvement of the movements and posture, we have to seriously think about cerebral palsy, okay? So in cerebral palsy, it's a, it's a, it's, we use this as an umbrella term because not all of them are exactly the same. There are different group of conditions, but what all of them have in common is that there's difficulty with movement and posture as a result of what we call a permanent but non-progressive injury to the brain of a developing either child of fetus because it can start even from the womb. So that is the definition of cerebral palsy. However, cerebral palsy can be accompanied by so many other things. So in addition to the disorders of movement and posture, the child can also afford associated difficulties. So they may have the developmental delay, they may have problem with the vision, they may have problem with the hearing, they can have seizures. A mother was asking me a couple yesterday, whether a child with uh, complex partial seizures can also have cerebral palsy, yes. So epilepsy can accompany cerebral palsy. Uh, they can even have other uh, developmental issues as well. But the hallmark of cerebral palsy will always be there. So I do see some children who have developmental delay, but they are walking, they are not stiff or floppy or anything. Those children most likely have maybe global developmental delay or intellectual disability, they do not necessarily have cerebral palsy. Okay, but it's possible for a child to have cerebral palsy and intellectual disability and seizure disorder and blindness and deafness and so many other conditions. So, but the thing that will always differentiate cerebral palsy from every other thing or in addition to every other thing is that they will always have difficulties with their movement and with their posture. So that is the definition of cerebral palsy and also trying to make sure we understand the difference between cerebral palsy and all the other developmental disabilities. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately in developmental pediatrics, which is my field, uh, comorbidity like is that that is two or three different things existing together is the norm rather than the exception. So it's sometimes so difficult for us to just make one diagnosis and that's the only thing. Most of the time we end up having like lists of diagnosis. So each other has cerebral palsy, also has seizure disorder, also has uh, blindness, also has hearing loss, also has uh, epilepsy, also has uh, intellectual disability. We may end up with like five, four, uh, six different things that that child have in the same child. So of course, but it's also possible for us to also just have a child with cerebral palsy and nothing else. So it's so important for us to understand that. And I think this is why people sometimes are confused about is it cerebral palsy, is it global developmental delay, is it Down syndrome? It's possible to have all of them together. So but but one thing you will always know that for children with cerebral palsy, they will always have that difficulties with their movement and with their posture, irrespective of 
every other symptom that they may have. So cerebral palsy is quite common in Nigeria. We may not have our figures, but in the United States, it has about it affects about 500,000 people. Uh, it's a condition that has no cure. And I know this is very hard for parents because parents come to the pediatricians and developmental pediatrician or pediatric neurologist, you come to us with so much faith, with so much hope, and like you want us to fix this child, you want us to take away this problem. Unfortunately, when it comes to cerebral palsy, the injury to the brain is permanent, okay? It's a permanent injury. We cannot, as at this moment, reverse that injury to the brain. We cannot fix the brain. So that is out of the question. So since we cannot fix the underlying cause of the problem, then it, we say there's no cure. But we can support the child. We can manage the child. We can help the child to live a good quality life, um, independent life. That is what we can do in different ways, depending also on the severity of the cerebral palsy. And this is one thing I always like to emphasize. Um, when we talk about conditions like cerebral palsy, everybody is not going to be on the same level because sometimes parents see people with cerebral palsy who have what we call mild cerebral palsy. They are doing so well. They are lawyers, they are doctors, they are engineers, they and they live independent life. And so those parents are encouraged that my child is going to be like that. And sometimes some of our uh, friends who have cerebral palsy who are, have what we will call the mind from cerebral palsy, who have a lot of function, they tend to make it look like it's going to be like that for everybody. But the honest truth is that, no, it's not going to be like that for everybody, okay? There are different severity level of cerebral palsy. So we have children with cerebral palsy who are working, who are doing everything else like any other person is doing. And every they are, you know, they are completely independent. And sometimes you may not even know that they have cerebral palsy. You may just notice that maybe they have a little bit of a limp when they are walking or some other things, you know. But sometimes it's very even difficult to know. But we also have children with cerebral palsy who have what we call the severe type of cerebral palsy or type five of the in terms of functional classification, who are always going to be in a wheelchair who will never talk, who will always be 100% dependent on somebody for the activities of daily living. So it is so important for us to know that. And sometimes it is very hard for parents of children who have a child with type five, uh, gross motor functional classification of cerebral palsy, and to think maybe their child can become like a type one or a type two kind of a child. Unfortunately, we, at this point, we cannot do that. So I always like parents to have hope, but I always like us also have realistic hope because it is not always possible. We don't have that miracle power yet to make a child ways in stage five, to become stage one, right? And no matter how much motivation you get from people who are stage one or stage two or stage three, it's not going to make your stage five child to become like them. 
we need to understand that so that is the first thing i would like to say so what so we've talked about cerebral palsy the next question people want to ask is what causes cerebral palsy all right so i've tried to allude to that in my definition of cerebral palsy so cerebral palsy is due to a brain injury or brain damage i, I tried to avoid the word brain damage but basically that's actually what has happened some part of the brain has been injured and it's a permanent injury to those parts of the brain those parts of the brain are not going to recover they are gone and they are gone and so what we see in children with cerebral palsy is a manifestation of that injury to the brain of a child who has had a cerebral palsy and now the question is what causes this injury to the brain of a child with cerebral palsy. Now, the injury can happen at different times. So the kind of injury that happens depends on when the injury happens. So there are injuries that can happen while the child is in the womb. There are injuries that can happen while the child was being born. And there are injuries that can happen to the brain after the child has been born or lived even a uh, relatively normal life for a while. So we call them prenatal, uh, perinatal and postnatal causes of uh, brain injuries that can lead to cerebral palsy. So sometimes for the prenatal ones, or that, that's the one that happened in the womb, it's sometimes just that the brain, when the brain was being formed, was not formed properly. You know, anything can happen and the brain didn't get formed properly. And so because of that, that child may end up being born and the brain will be injured and that child is going to have cerebral palsy. Sometimes mothers can have certain infections when they were pregnant. And because they have those infections, what we call congenital infections, uh, that infection can also affect the brain okay so that infection uh like some mothers have what we call cytomegalovirus or toxoplasmosis um, we call them the touches infection uh rubella and the rest of them this infection when it happens to the mother when she's pregnant the mother herself is otherwise not really bad she she may not even know she has this viral infections because she they just look like flu or like malaria and she's fine but that baby in the womb is the one that is at risk during this process. So that baby is um, exposed to those uh, viruses or uh, organisms, and those organisms uh, cause uh, injury to the brain that is being formed. And that injury in the brain is now words will lead to cerebral palsy. So that is another cause of cerebral palsy. Or sometimes the, some mothers have some illnesses, especially mothers with hypertension, uh, diabetes, uh, mother will have heart problems, liver, kidney problems. And because of that, the flow of blood to the brain, to the baby in the womb is kind of compromised. So enough blood is not getting to the brain of the baby that can also cause damage to the brain of a baby in the womb and sometimes to be honest we don't know what really happened to that brain and that child is born and the child develop cerebral palsy but something happened to the brain so those are the causes of before the baby is born now when baby is being born which is which we have we most of the time for the factors before the baby is born we really have little or no control 
over that. But we we have a little bit more control over factors during the time of delivery and factors after the baby has been born. Now, factors that can happen, also babies that are born too early. If a baby is born premature, I've talked about premature babies before, and the, the, um, the shorter the duration the baby stay in the womb, you know, the, 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 how preterm they are will determine the risks of the brain damage, depending on how preterm they are and what their weight is when they are born. So babies that are born less than one kilo, especially, they are like, it's almost like 50-50%. They are like 50% chance of developing cerebral palsy. Where a baby that are born closer to 32-33 weeks, they tend to do much better. The risk of cerebral palsy is slow, is less than them. That's because the brain of premature babies are very, very fragile. Just holding them alone, their brain can they can bleed in their brain. Even without holding them, they can bleed in their brain because those blood vessels, what we call capillaries network around the brain, they are so very fragile and they can bleed. And when they bleed, the area of the brain is supply we suffer some injuries and that can lead to cerebral palsy. So preterm babies, actually those born below 26 weeks and those born less than one kilo, they are very high risks for having cerebral palsy. During delivery, if a child is born and the child did not cry, you know, because the brain is a very sensitive organ, the brain needs oxygen to function. And if anything compromises blood supply, oxygen supply to the brain, then that brain begins to die within four minutes. And this is why you see us very frantic when a baby is born. We want to get them crying. We want to, because when baby is in the womb, all the blood supply, brain uh, oxygen supply, everything to the baby goes through the mother, through the placenta, through the baby. But immediately the baby is born and we cut that placenta, there is no more supply from the mother, okay? And because there's no supply from the mother, the, um, the baby has to breathe to get oxygen to the brain. And if the oxygen doesn't start getting to the brain within five minutes, that brain begins to die. Okay, so that's why you see pediatricians, doctors, we want babies to breathe within the first minutes of life. We call it the golden minutes because if you don't get that process ongoing, we are not, the baby may still survive, that's not the issue, but baby can survive with brain damage, especially if we are going past five minutes and we're still struggling with it, then that baby can go uh, uh, develop brain damage. So that's why we do what we call resuscitation. So if the baby is not breathing, we are, it's not by spanking them, <laughs> we just stimulate them and we start to breathe for them and we want them breathing by themselves so that we don't suffer brain damage. So better speaks here, yeah, babies not crying is one of the major causes of cerebral palsy that is likely preventable, especially in Africa. And the problem is that most of, some people go to deliver in churches, in hospitals who are not, uh, who don't have trained professionals who, or some people even deliver at home. The challenge with delivering at home and in all these other places is not uh that you won't be able to push your baby or your baby cannot come out that's not the issue the issue is when you have a baby who did not breathe by themselves so most babies are born 
squalling and making noises as they come into the world. Those babies are fine. They're, the crying is oxygen going into the brain, into their lungs and going into the brain. We are we don't have any problem with that. But we have ten percent of babies that will be born not crying that needs help of a pediatrician. Some of them just need small help. You just dry them and you. And some of you think by slapping them or you know they will start to breathe but you know what we just need is stimulation but somehow we're able to get that but there's one percent of babies that will not respond to that you're uh, stimulating them and you know trying to rub their body and all that those baby needs resuscitation they need for us to put our uh, what we call max to give them oxygen sometimes we need to give them adrenaline we need to intubate them those kind of babies if they are born in a place where there's no pediatrician or health professional who is able to do that then those kind of babies are going to suffer injuries to the brain and they're going to have cerebral palsy that is why you should deliver not in a church or mocks or home you should deliver in a hospital or your delivery should be attended to by somebody who is a professional who knows how to get your baby breathing as soon as possible so cerebrospinal is one of the most common cause of uh, cerebral palsy. Sometimes injury, when babies are being born, they can have bad trauma, you know, all those kind of things. They can also cause cerebral palsy. Um, also, babies can lose a lot of blood when they are being born, you know, and that can also cause some brain damage and as well, and that can lead to cerebral palsy. Also, in the newborn period, baby can have what we call um, uh, uh jaundice and if jaundice is not being treated properly then that child could also cause uh, uh that jaundice can cause brain damage and that can also cause cerebral palsy or sometimes baby can have infections when they are born as well and that infection for example can cause meningitis and that's why we don't joke around babies i see mothers telling me oh, my baby is having fever it's not sulking and they are just thinking it's not a big deal it's a big deal for us because that child could be having meningitis and in babies they they don't have the big big symptoms of high fever conversion by the time they're having fever conversion and all that we are running we are really running late okay sometimes they just become like quiet non-responsive not sucking that's maybe a reason you know because meningitis and that's good that may just be all that we're going to have sometimes we just tap we, we just take the uh, fluid and check even though they are not having all the symptoms we need to be sure they don't have meningitis because if we, they have meningitis and we don't treat it properly they can have cerebral palsy all right so sometimes and this meningitis can occur either in the newborn period it can even occur in the first year two years of life and it can still lead to cerebral palsy. So I've seen some mother who tell me my baby was fine when baby was born, baby was growing well, and then baby becomes sick. And after that, baby lost all the milestones and they are not responding anymore. So cerebral palsy can be postnatal. It can happen in a baby who has grown up to one year, two years. If they still have any severe infection to their brain, they can still develop cerebral palsy. Also, in health injury and that's why i worry a lot about mothers 
who we are sometimes not being careful monitoring our babies. Babies should not be falling and eating their head. I just saw a post yesterday about somebody who took a baby for a baby photo shoot and the baby fell down. Another place, this should not be happening. We really need to be, it's not just that baby falling and all that. No, it is because of brain damage that we don't want that to happen. And sometimes, you know, as pediatricians, we, we, we try to talk, mothers will feel like, why are you scolding me? Anybody's not above mistake. It's because we are very worried about the consequence of some of these things you are trivializing. The brain of your baby up to the first five years is still developing and any unnecessary injury to that brain can alter the course of their life. You know, so that's why your baby should be in the car seat, you know, properly strapped in when you are driving. And that is why you don't allow other children to carry babies. And that's why you don't leave your child on the couch. And just I want to quickly go one minute and come back. The baby can roll and fall and that head injury can lead to cerebral palsy. So this is why we are very like, please don't leave babies unattended. So if you have to leave them, please put them on a flat surface where they cannot, you know, cause any fall and or lead to head injury. It is so important that we know all this. This is why we all emphasize immunization because your child can self-infection and that can cause brain damage, okay? And luckily, thank God, we are now going to have cerebral, I mean, we're going to have malaria vaccine. And so most of our children will now start having cerebral malaria and the severe malaria that can also cause brain injury as well. So these are the things that can lead to cerebral palsy. So any of this problem before the baby was born, when the baby is being born, after the baby has been born, that cause any injury whatsoever to the brain, can lead to cerebral palsy. And sometimes we don't even know why some babies have this injury or how this injury happened and they have cerebral palsy. Now, what are the symptoms? What are the signs that you will see and you will know that, oh, should I worry about uh, cerebral palsy? So um, the, the first thing is uh, most children that have cerebral palsy will be slow in terms of development, especially their what we call motor skills development. So this child by three months should have neck control, but child with cerebral palsy, they may not develop the neck control by three months. They may not be sitting by six, seven months. They may not be crawling. They may not be walking after 18 months. So if your child's development is slow, then that may be a early sign that the child is developing cerebral palsy. I'm not saying the child has cerebral palsy, but these are early warning signs. So developmental, de delay in achieving developmental milestones. Also, some maybe it will be very safe. Um, we just had ATP Live uh, uh, last week, and a mother was asking that three months old is Steve, and she has to, you know, extend the hands and all that. Again, if they try to become Steve, that's at that age, three months, four months, that is a sign that the child will be developing cerebral palsy. Or if the child is always fisting their hand, you see their hands are always closed. Usually babies are born, you know, their hands closed, but usually when they sleep, their hands are open. By three to four months, their hands should be completely opened. So if by that three, four months, your baby's hand is still always closed, Steve, you know, that's a sign that the child may develop cerebral palsy. Okay, so continuing on, what are the other signs their child may be developing cerebral palsy is uh, 
when the children have persistence of certain reflexes, uh, like moral reflex, that some of those reflexes expect them to be going away by four to six months. But when children see have those reflexes persisting beyond the acceptable time, that may also be a sign that this child is developing cerebral palsy. All right. Also, of course, when you go to see the pediatrician, we can examine the child and we can confirm if they have cerebral palsy. Sometimes it's also what we call handedness. So you see that the child is using one hand more than the other. We expect children to be using both hands until the age of two years. So they use both hands. So, but if your child by less than a year old child, less than two year old is already always using only one hand and ignoring the other hand, or only moving one part of the body, ignoring the other side. This may be signs that this child is developing uh, cerebral palsy. And so, um, so you see some children always, you know, wanting to be in a standing posture rather than, you know, sitting, crawling and all that. Again, and actually we're doing it too early beyond when, before 10 months when we expect them to do that then that may also be a sign that the child but these are just like i said warning signs what you really need to do if you think your child may be developing cerebral palsy is to take your child to see a pediatrician who can do proper evaluation so if you suspect that this child is developmentally delayed in terms of his motor skills is using only some part of the body or it's a little bit stiff some may also have very small head then you should see a pediatrician so generally when you see the pediatrician we will ask you several questions and we'll examine the child and then we can do certain investigations to confirm whether this child has to confirm the diagnosis of cerebral palsy. There are different types of cerebral palsy. I need to quickly mention that. Um, there are cerebral palsy that has to do with stiffness or what we call the spastic type of cerebral palsy. And there are cerebral palsy that has to do with just abnormal movements. You know, this child that always uh, uh, moving, you know, or shaking a kind of a way. And also there are some kind of cerebral palsy that the children actually too uh, floppy. They are not, um, they, 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 they are not very strong, let me put it that way. And also you also have the type that you have a mixture of all these types. But the most common type is what we call the spastic cerebral palsy, which affect about 75% of children. And so in these children, those are the ones that are like very stiff, they are very spastic. And so they tend to have delayed developmental milestones, uh, abnormal movements, and when you they are the type that you have to really stretch them before their hands move and all that. So, and depending on which part of the body is affected, so that spasticity may affect only the upper limbs, or it may affect both the upper limbs, both the hands and the legs, upper limbs and lower limbs. So, if it affects all of four of them, we call it a bilateral. Uh, 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 cerebral palsy, or we used to use what quadriplegia before, or sometimes it will affect the legs more than the hands. And this tends to happen, it's really in children with um, uh, uh, prematurity as a cause of their own cerebral palsy, or sometimes it will affect half of the body, maybe the right side or the left side. So you have the right hand and the left, the uh, right hand and the 
right leg or left hand and the left leg. So that is hemi. We call it hemiplegia. So those are the spastic kind of cerebral palsy. We also have one we call the dyskinetic kind of cerebral palsy, where the children, you know, they're always just moving their body, you know, repetitively. We tend to have that in children who have severe jaundice as a cause of the cerebral palsy. So we have what we call uh, dystonia. They have these twisting motions. You also have what we call atetosis. You have chorea. There are different kind of abnormal movements that you see in children with this cerebral palsy and they tend to have difficulty with swallowing, with choking, because the part of the brain affected is what's uh, controls those area. Also, we have children with um, children with what we call a toxic cerebral palsy, where they have problems with the balance and coordination. They are always having tremor and shaking movements, and of course, you can all be mixed together. So that is the type of cerebral palsy in terms of which part of the body is affected, and in terms of um, the whether it's they are being spastic steve or they are having abnormal movement so that is the different type of cerebral palsy and we also classify cerebral palsy based on what we call function no not other but what can the child do all right so we call it gross motor function classification system gmfcs this is very important because that tells us where this child is because like i said all children with cerebral palsy are not the same it's actually a group of disorders but all they have in common is that they all have difficulties with movements and posture as a result of that injury in the brain, but they are not all the same in terms of the type, like hemiplegia or bilateral or diplegia or whether it's the, abnormal, uh, the dyskinetic type. So they are not all the same, they are different. And also in terms of function as well, they are different. So GMFCS one and two, they are the mild form of cerebral palsy, while three is moderate, four and five is severe. So GMFCS1 are children who have cerebral palsy, but they are more or less doing everything else like any other person else who doesn't have cerebral palsy. But we know they have cerebral palsy because there's some injury in the brain and there's some stiffness in the body, but they are walking, they are doing everything else. So that is children with uh, type 1. Type 2, they also are close to type one, they're able to do a lot of things, but they can they will they cannot do to up to certain level and they will need support, you know. So maybe they can walk if the place is flat, and otherwise they have to walk more than certain uh miles, then they will need maybe a cane or they need additional support, you know, for going for a longer distance. So that's type two. But type three definitely need additional support, even for everyday walking. So for example, this is the one that use walkers, they use frames, walking frames. So they can walk or they can do things holding on to things. So depending on the age of the child, we have different things that we use to assess their function. So we have the one for zero to three years, the one for two to six years and six to 12 years. So, but I'm using the one that most parents are familiar with, which is the walking part of it. So GSM was doing everything, but they have cerebral palsy. GSM too, able to do a lot of things, but very limited and they cannot go for too long and they will need support. GMFCS3, they are already using 
some uh, instruments or some support like walkers, like frame to support their mobility. Whereas GSM, GFCS4, those ones are not able to move without a wheelchair. So they're in wheelchair and they need, but they can use wheelchair that they can power by themselves or, you know, or somebody else will have to, they can propel their own wheelchair. But GFCS5, usually they are also in wheelchair they cannot propel their own wheelchair by themselves. Some of them even have like a tube to feed them and all that. So that is the classification. So it's just a way of saying how severe is the cerebral palsy. Is a mild, one to two will be mild, three will be moderate, and four to five will be severe cerebral palsy. But that is not even the only thing that determines. So apart from the cerebral palsy itself, the associated issues will be additional um, uh, will be additional factors that determine the severity of cerebral palsy. For example, uh, some children have epilepsy in addition to cerebral palsy. So we're not just going to focus on the cerebral palsy, walking, movement. We also focus on how do we manage epilepsy that the child has in addition to the cerebral palsy. I've seen some children that has a lot of drooling and that is even more of a concern to the parent. They don't like that drooling thing. And sometimes we're using medication. Sometimes we're even doing surgery to stop the drooling, okay? And some children also have learning disability. So there are children with cerebral palsy who do not have any difficulty with learning and they are able to go to school even in their wheelchair and they are brilliant and doing very well. But the children with cerebral palsy who also has learning difficulties and the more severe the cerebral palsy itself, the more likely that brain injury is going to also catch other areas. So children who has uh, GMFCS 4 and 5, because it's, they tend to have severe form of cerebral palsy, they are also likely going to be the one to have all these other uh, comorbidities. They are the one that's likely also going to have the seizures. They are the one that's also going to have the drooling. They are also the one that are likely going to have learning disability in addition to the cerebral palsy. But it's not always like that, but it's, just in terms of how common it is. Also, some children have hearing problems. Some children with cerebral palsy may also have vision. They are blind. They have what we call uh, cortical vision. Nothing may be wrong with the eyes, but the, the part of the brain, you, because you see it in your brain, okay? Even though you look with your eyes, but you are seeing in your brain. So the part of the brain where you are seeing, if it has been affected during the, during the same injury that causes cerebral palsy, they will have what we call cortical visual impairments. I've talked about the hearing loss as well and the learning difficulties. So these are all issues that children with cerebral palsy may have. Some of them have difficulty with swallowing and um, and they cannot swallow. They always, you know, the food is going the wrong way and sometimes they are aspirating, going down with chest infection a lot. And sometimes we have to do surgery. Sometimes we cannot feed them through the mouth that because of that and they have to be fed through what we call tube pass from the outside into the tummy. So these are all challenges that children with cerebral palsy may have in addition to the cerebral palsy and everything has to be managed together. So uh, how do we confirm the diagnosis? Again, the diagnosis of cerebral palsy is very easy to make. Most By the time most children are one year old, 
maximum two years old with diagnosed them with cerebral palsy if they have it because they always have the symptoms uh, that we've mentioned earlier they have difficulty with mobility they have difficulty with movement and then we do our brain scan and when we do the brain scan most of the time we can see the injury in that brain we avoid making a diagnosis of cerebral palsy when we can't see an injury in the brain, okay? We, if we don't see any injury in the brain, we are going to look for other causes because there are some other causes that can cause developmental delay, motor delay, and they may be metabolic conditions, things that are very slow. So initially, at the beginning, it may look like cerebral palsy, but the more we look at it, then we know that, oh, this is not cerebral palsy, this is more going on so but usually for cerebral palsy once we see the symptoms we confirm it on physical examination and we do a brain scan whether an mri ct scan and we can see the injury in the brain then we've locked down the diagnosis of cerebral palsy so we know this is the injury in the brain this is the manifestation and we even know the underlying cause of that injury in the brain then we can confirm that truly this is cerebral palsy and most of the time we're able to to do that for most children with cerebral palsy and uh, so once we make the diagnosis then we'll apart from the cerebral palsy we classify it what type is it is it spastic is it dyskinetic is it one side of the body is it emmy or is it bilateral is it upper limbs or is it lower limb diplegia and then we also do the functional classification is it my cerebral palsy gmfcs one or two or is it moderate or is it severe gmfcs then what are the other comorbidities what is the child having seizures epilepsy is the child hearing so we do hearing tests we do vision tests so we do a lot of things and the management of cerebral palsy is not one professional management it involves many people so it involves doctors it involves our therapies physiotherapies speech therapy occupational therapy some children are not talking because they're about sales but they need speech therapy uh sometimes we need orthopedic surgeons because children can develop certain complications as a result of cerebral palsy and we need orthopedic surgeons our pharmacists we need drugs so there are many many professionals involved so many of the professionals they come in and they leave but some will always be there so the developmental pediatrician or the pediatric neurologist they always have to be there for the child and they have to coordinate every other professional that is involved in caring for a child with um, cerebral palsy so as i said earlier we cannot reverse what has happened to the brain of a child with cerebral palsy we cannot cure cerebral palsy um we can't do anything there's a lot of news a lot of people making claims uh things that people say with stem cell therapy and all that. And I've seen a lot of parents impoverish themselves, spending all their hennies, trying to go for this experimental uh, approach. And most of them, nothing happened to the children. The children sometimes are even worse off. So usually I always tell my parents, once something is confirmed, evidence-based that it works, you are going to hear it first from your pediatrician or your pediatric neurologist. So don't go googling googling online and reading and going for this experimental treatment everything that is not yet 
proved without evidence, we will not recommend it to you. There are a lot of researches going on. We're hoping maybe one day we'll be able to fix that injury in the brain. But as of this morning, as I'm talking, we don't have that technology or management yet. So please avoid going for experimental time. Number one, they waste so much of your money. And two, the child may even become worse. And at the end of the day, you should have spent that money doing things that work, even though they are slow, but we need to make sure that we uh, do them. And I always tell parents, when we say we cannot, the reason why it's so important for me to emphasize the fact that we cannot cure is that sometimes when you see parents and tell them, we'll go for physiotherapy, go for this therapy, parents think with that therapy, then the child um, condition will, the child will become like, what they call normal. So I always like to emphasize that that our therapies is not meant to kill the child of cerebral palsy. Physiotherapy is most parents because most of the time parents are worried because the children are not working and they come to us. If your child is GMFCS four or five, they are not going to work and physiotherapy is not going to make them work. Yes. So parents always assume, oh, but I've been in physiotherapy for six months, but my child is still not working. If physiotherapy is not meant to make the child to walk, what makes the child to walk is the brain. And if that injury that happens to the brain is so severe enough, some children will never walk. That is the honest truth. And that is that that physiotherapy is not going to make them walk because it's from the brain. All right. So only children who have mind to moderate cerebral palsy will be doing the working by themselves or with the support of uh, uh, instruments or adjuvants, you know, things like that. But children with severe cerebral palsy, they won't be able to do that. So, but why do we still recommend physiotherapy? Why do we still recommend therapy? Because the children are not moving their body. And if you don't move your body, that part of the body you don't use, you will lose. So children with cerebral palsy, because they are not moving, if they don't use their hands and legs, they will become stiffer and stiffer and they develop what we call contractions. And these contractions can become permanent that we have to now use surgery to release the contractions. So we don't want them to develop contractions and they also will what we have what we call muscle atrophy. That muscle bulk will become smaller and smaller. And you know, so that's what happens. If, if, it can happen to anyone. If you just decide not to move your hands for a month, just leave it in one place, don't move it at all. What I just told you is going to happen. Your hand becomes so stiff and your muscle will we, we, we shrink and that's it. So which is exactly what is happening during cerebral So physiotherapy is to make sure that they are moving their body to prevent contractions and to prevent muscle atrophy. It does not necessarily mean the children are going to work. Because the child's brain is still developing, sometimes some parts of the brain try to help and there's plasticity and all that. We're not going to all those medical jargons. So some children eventually will work, you know, or with some support, but it is not always possible. And sometimes some children are so stiff, we have to do other form of treatment. Like we have to give them what we call muscle relaxants, muscle relaxants like the alcepam, like, um, like, uh, um, I forgot the name of the other drug I want to mention, even Botox and all that. So those things can help, you know, to relax the muscles. And, you know, that is also part of the treatment we do. For the drooling, there are drugs we use to dry up the saliva. Sometimes we have to do surgery for that as well. So basically we manage the children 
which supports all their functions so that they can live independent lives. So, so children who don't have learning disability or intellectual disability, we want them to go to school, we want them to be inclusive in school. Some children will not be able to go to school because they are not able to um, I mean, uh, understand or we have to give them a form of education that is tailored towards them. Um, so we have special schools sometimes for children with their problems. Some children can go to mainstream school uh, that is inclusive. Some children need to be in a special setting where they have the physiotherapy there, they have therapists, they have speech therapists, they have everybody in the school supporting the child depending on the severity. So the management of cerebral palsy is a complex one. It involves so many professionals, it involves the uh, developmental pediatrician coordinating everybody and making sure everything, the therapist, everybody is doing their part and then we monitor the children for for as long as their children are for life. Even when they become adults, we have to transfer them to adults uh, sub services. Some children are able to live independently, but some will need um, assisted living, like they always have to be supervised and all that, depending on the severity. I find it's very useful for parents to join uh, groups, support groups. So like in Nigeria or Facebook, for example, you have the Super Parent Foundation, because when parents see other parents who have gone through the same challenges they are going through, it's helpful. Um, and then you can be encouraged and because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a marathon in terms of the care of a child with cerebral palsy. It's marathon. It is not um it is not a sprint at all. And sometimes parents approach it with a sprint, thinking it is something we can fix and it's going to go away and then everything will be fine. But sometimes it's not going to be that way. It's something you have to accept and you have to live with and you have to get some support around. Sometimes some parents need to take their children to homes where they can be supported so that they can also go to work and all that. So um, we don't want you to make this purpose the only part, the only thing in your life. You should still live a normal life. So we have uh, organizations that provide respite cares and stuff. So but when you're in groups like that, you know, you can get all the support. Finally, is this something we can prevent? Is cerebral palsy preventable? Uh, the answer is yes. There are some forms of cerebral palsy that we can prevent. Uh, if you remember what I said about um, the the causes of cerebral palsy. So you will notice that some cerebral palsy can be preventable, um, but some we cannot prevent it. So for example, most of the ones that happen when the brain is being formed, you know, sometimes as a pregnant woman, please don't use drugs, don't use herbs, don't use anything that can cause injuries to your brain. Don't go for x-rays. I saw a mom telling me she was pregnant and she was taking a job for x-ray. I'm like, you should never have gone for x-rays. So, um, so these are the things that we can now do as a mother. When you're pregnant, avoid being close to people who are sick. Avoid, you know, people that have all these viruses, infection. You won't, they don't, it doesn't disturb you much, but it can affect your baby in the womb. So you really need to make sure you register for antenatal care so that your doctors can monitor you 
properly and then it can provide some support for you and also uh when your baby is born please deliver in a hospital where they can have same parents where their two children have cerebral palsy they have one bad experience with one hospital they went to the same thing to happen it's very very sad so please especially if you're a first-time mother or you're a mother who have complicated pregnancies please don't deliver in health centers you must deliver in a hospital with a uh, with the specialists, obstetricians, and pediatricians, okay? And if they told you, please, you need to deliver through cesarean section, don't say, ah, is this not my portion? I must deliver like an Hebrew woman. You're not a Hebrew woman, you're a Nigerian woman, okay? So please deliver first safely. I always tell mother, it is not the big coming house alone that is our main concern when it comes to delivery and cesarean sections and stuff. It is the baby coming out with an intact brain, okay? With a brain that has not suffered any injury. Some of you say, oh, yes, they say I will deliver through CS, but I deliver normally. Okay, yes, that's fine, but did you deliver with your baby's brain intact? So that is our main concern. So those are the things that the doctor is trying to avoid. We don't want to stretch the baby through the normal vaginal delivery sometimes and we want, we notice that the baby's brain is already getting stretched and we want to deliver that baby as fast as possible, as quickly as possible. And so if they recommend cesarean section, please listen and just follow it, all right? And also, um, if your baby has done the journey, is an emergency. It is not purple water, it is not glucose water. We must know the level of journeys first, okay? There's a level of journeys who will tell you, okay, fine, no problem, go home, but there's a level of journeys that we have to put baby under lights there's a level of journeys we have to put baby we have to exchange baby's blood all right so a lot of mothers we just use the same hand to brush don't just say oh maybe also had jaundice nothing happened yeah their own baby may have had mild jaundice another mother's babies may be having severe jaundice so don't make recommendation based on your experience let the child be seen by a pediatrician i'm emphasizing this too because those are the two most common causes of preventable cerebral palsy in Nigeria, birth asphyxia and jaundice. And these are both of them. I mean, these two are preventable if we only do the right things. We understand the things we cannot do something about, but the things that we can do things about, let's do something about them. Let's ensure our children are immunized so that they don't have meningitis, which can also cause brain injury. Please don't let children be falling. Avoid head injury at all costs. Do your best. Don't be too careless. You know, just leaving children on couches, letting other children carry children and letting children be falling. Some of us say these things and we say it so casually and I'm like worried and screaming. <laughs> so please let's stop that because head injury can cause brain injury and it can cause cerebral palsy. So these are things we can do to avoid cerebral palsy. So if you have any questions uh, based on this topic of cerebral palsy, or if you have a child with cerebral palsy, want to know whether you're doing the right thing, feel free to post your question on Ask the Pediatrician's Facebook group, and I will do my best to answer them. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you again next week, where I'll be bringing to you another important topic that has to do with the health of our children. Have a wonderful, wonderful day, and it is bye, bye from me. Are you a mother?
father or you are involved in caring for children. If yes, then listen to Ask the Pediatricians every Thursday by 10 a.m. for insightful discussion on popular child health topics such as dangerous child health practices, immunization, infant feeding, developmental milestones and so on. You also get to ask questions on these topics and listen to answers to real-life child health issues by a pediatrician. Ask the Pediatricians Foundation is devoted to health education and information of parents and caregivers of children in the community to support you in raising healthy children. Don't miss Ask the Pediatricians with Dr. Bernie because it's informative, educative and interactive. Ask the Pediatricians Hour, the program for caring parents. Are you a mother, father or you are involved in caring for children? If yes, then listen to Ask the Pediatricians every